And let's pray and dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we love You, Lord. We ask now as we go to Your Word that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I know in a lot of ways this is a very tedious chapter with a lot of detail, but I pray here that we leave here recognizing that Your Word is true, that You're a faithful God, and You're faithful to Your promises and Your prophecy. So Lord, be our teacher tonight, this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. So Daniel, as you know, we've been going through Daniel. The first six chapters of Daniel really are historical in the life of Daniel, a 13-year-old boy who was taken captive, who purposed in his heart not to, to defile himself. We see him and his three friends standing for God when nobody else will. Daniel it gets thrown into a lion's den in his 80s only because he purposed in his heart as a teenager for, for praying when nobody else would, when they had outlaw prayer. We get to chapter 7 moving forward. It moves from the historical part to the prophetic part. And we're going to see this morning that, that all these prophecies given to Daniel by God. And it's interesting that Daniel is given prophecy because he's a man that walks in intimate fellowship with God. It's those who walk close to God that hear the most from God. Amen? And so He's given these prophecies in those days to him. They were all in the future, and we'll see that in this morning's text. But we're going to see in this morning's text. Now, I will say this. Somebody told me this, and they were right. A couple of commentaries said that the, the most difficult chapter to study and teach, one of the most difficult in the entire Bible, is Daniel chapter 11. And I will tell you, I spent more hours, I spent about double what I normally do, and I still... Lord, help. God, help you guys understand what's happening here, okay? So God is good, but here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember, you may forget all the battles. You may forget the names of the kings. And, you know, they're in the Bible for a reason, so it's good if we remember them. But here's what I want you to remember. There's 135 prophetic truths in the first 35 verses of Daniel 11, and they've all taken place exactly the way God said they would. And I hope you remember that because when people will tell you, well, the Bible's just written by men, how many men do you know that can predict things that happened 300 years in the future to, in very uh, minute detail and they happen exactly the way that the Bible says they would? The only reason that can happen is because God wrote the book, Amen. And so I want you to understand, and if you leave here with nothing else, if you forget all these names, Antichrist, Epiphanes, and Ptolemy, and Seleucus, and all these people that are fighting, and all these battles that are taking place, just remember all the promises we will see. I want you to recognize the detail you're going to see in some of these chapters. This is going to talk about not only in the battle, and someone's going to intermarry, and then the daughter's going to be killed, and then you're like, how in the world, all the details, literally written 300 years before it happens, and then it happens. And you know what's great about that? When we see prophecy that at that time was prophetic and now it's history and it's all happened, we can trust that all the prophecy that we see going forward will happen just the way God said, because everything he said in the past happened just the way God said. Amen? So when we look at uh, chapter, we're only going to go through the first 35 verses this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 36 and go through chapter 12 next week. And this morning, it's all history. It's going to be a history lesson of prophecy that was fulfilled. When we get to verse 36 going forward, it's all prophecy that's in the future. So next week, we'll be looking at you know, the 70 weeks of Daniel and that last portion of time during the Great Tribulation. And so all of that is future. 
And that's why I stopped at verse 35, because it really transitions to things that are future events. So this morning's chapter contains one of the most specifically fulfilled prophecies in the Bible, predicting over 375 years of history with amazing detail and 100% accuracy. This chapter is so specific that many critics deny that it was written when it was. There, have you ever heard someone say there's two Daniels? There are people who say there's two Daniels. The Daniel that wrote the first part of the book, and then there must have been another Daniel that came along and wrote the last few chapters, because there's no way in the world anybody could write that 300 years before it happens and have it happen exactly the way that it does. You know who says that? Unbelievers. Amen? We know that our God can do anything. By by the way, you know what the sovereignty of God means? The sovereignty of God means he doesn't need your permission to do what he wants. Amen? Amen? God is sovereign. God's in control. God knows what he's doing. He's a faithful God. He knew before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God knew it all. God knows it all. God's plan is going to work according to his perfect will. And when this was written, it's, it's absolutely something we can trust in 100%. Observing the fulfillment of the prophecy in history as we're going to see them being so clearly foretold in scripture. Again, 135 promises. And what I mean by that, there's going to be one text that has four or five different things that it says are going to happen. And every detail happens the way that it says. And there's going to be a battle. We're going to see that's going to take place for 130 years. And during that battle, we're going to see these kingdoms fighting against each other. And Israel is going to be right in the middle of them. And we'll talk about that in detail. Historical accuracy and prophetic truth are two of the many reasons that we know the Bible is the living, breathing Word of God. You know, we, we look at manuscript evidence. We have, there are more manuscripts for the Bible than any other book, and it's not even close. They'll have four or five manuscripts for Aristotle. We have t- over 20,000 for the Bible. Guys, the Bible is the Word of God. It's been proven historically. It's been proven archaeologically. And as we will see scientifically, and as we will see in this morning's text, it's being proven prophetically. So chapter 10 and t- through 12 is all one vision. We began looking at that last week. And this chapter is a continuation of chapter 10. And the key verse for this vision was in Daniel 10, 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days from now. Your people. So this vision is for the Jews. And it's important that you understand it's for the Jews because people who try to put the church into this vision are the reason that they struggle with the end times. They start putting the church into the end times when the church has been raptured because they lose sight of the fact that this is speaking to to the Jews and to Israel. So the prophecy is given to the Jewish people and the focus is Israel, not the church. And if you make the mistake, again, of making the church instead of the Jews, we'll have a flawed view of the great tribulation and end times. So chapter 11 is very important as it reveals the great detail, the 70 weeks of Daniel that we saw in chapter 9. We'll see that next week at the end of, the, uh, end of chapter 11. And the specific impact on Daniel's people, Israel. It gives greater detail to the last three. Um, so the, remember, we've had two visions already in chapter 2 and chapter 8 of the four nations. Right? One was a statue, one were, one were, were beasts, and now we're going to see that yet again. And again, it's amazing how God gives this vision three times and interprets it three times, and then it happens exactly the way God said it would happen. 
right? It starts off with Babylon. Babylon, if they were living in Babylon when this was written, going to be overthrown by the Medo-Persians, and it happened exactly as God said. The Medo-Persians be overthrown by the Greeks, and a man by the name of Alexander the Great, we'll talk about him some more. And then the fourth kingdom is going to be richer than them all, and that fourth kingdom is the Romans who will rule and reign for a thousand years, all the way up into the, through the time of Jesus. So we see this vision being shared over and over and over again, and whenever I say this, it's so easy for us to get used to it, but think about it this way. In the vision we're going to see today, some of it is 300 plus years in advance. So imagine our country is only 240 something years old. So imagine somebody writing something in 1776 describing World War II and describing the Civil War and talking about what would happen to our country in these days. We would read that and think there's no way that's possible unless God wrote it. Well, guess what? That's exactly what takes place in chapter 11. And, that, and the reason that it's accurate is because God wrote it. Amen? So last week, we started this last session. By the way, there is so much prophecy in this chapter. Now we understand why, because you remember last week, Daniel was mourning and praying and fasting. And what it took how many days for the answer to get to him? Who remembers? 21 days. Why? There was a battle between the angel and an enemy of God, right? A demonic force that did not want the answer to get to Daniel. So we know that this is an important prophecy that the enemy didn't want people to hear. Because when you hear it, you recognize that God's word is true. And you recognize that our God is in control and he's a faithful God. So Daniel was fasting and praying. He was seeking the Lord. And again, we're going to see so quickly, and then we'll get into the text. It's in the third year of Cyrus that he gets the vision, 536 B.C., the emergence of Alexander the Great takes place over 200 years later when the prophecy was given. Daniel's, uh, the Greeks being broken into four kingdoms, uh, as described here, is 235 years in advance of when it actually happened. The 130-year war between the north and the south, it's not the Civil War, it's Syria to the north and Egypt to the south. And guess who's right in the middle? Israel. And these two nations are going to be battling against each other over and over and over. And Israel's in the middle. And whichever one wins the battle keeps taking Israel back under their servitude. So Israel's under, under Syria, then they're under Egypt. Then they're under Syria, then they're under Egypt. And you know what? It can get frustrating when you're God's people and you feel like you keep losing the battle. Guys, but the battle belongs to the Lord and God is in control. Amen? And then we're going to see, that took place 262 years after the prophecy. And then we're going to see the reign of Antichus Epiphanes. Antichus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist. Uh, he named himself Antichus Epiphanes, in his, and Epiphanes means glorious. Now, you're a little full of yourself if you name yourself Antichus the Glorious. Dave the Glorious, that doesn't fit, man. We don't do that, right? I, I, I'd be petrified to even put that next to my name. And he calls himself the Glorious, so they, instead of Epiphanes, they started calling him Antichus Epiphanes, which means crazy man. So he says glorious, and they're like, madman, and he's a madman, and we're going to take a look at him. And his prophecy, 361 years before it happens, and he comes on the scene and does exactly what the Bible says he would do. Guys, I, I know I'm driving this point home. If you forget all the details, I don't want you to, but if you do, I want you to remember 135 prophecies. 
every single one of them fulfilled exactly as the word of God said. Guys, we need to walk around confident in the Bible that you hold in your hand. Amen? Because if this is not the, the living, breathing word of God, we're wasting our time. So the perspective here. So if you have your outline, grab it. And when I work on these outlines, this is the last thing I do. I thought, what do I want to leave you with? Here it is. Just as the Bible says... I tell the message, just as the Bible says, I'm going to say this over and over. And then the Bible says this, guess what? It happened. Here's how it happened. Here's the history lesson. Guess what? Just as the Bible says. And that's exactly what we're going to look at. So first of all, just as the Bible says, kingdoms come and go, great men rise and fall, but Jesus reigns forever. Amen? 135 prophetic promises all fulfilled, just as the Bible says. In verses one through four, we're going to see mighty men and great nations rise and fall. Alexander the Great, Xerxes, who ends up getting married to a woman by the name of Esther. And we're going to see that, guess what? Their nations rise and they fall, just as the Bible says. We're going to see in verses five to 10, to 10 great families rose and fell. Treaties were signed and broken, just as the Bible says. We're going to see in verse 11 to 19, a perpetual war between the north and the south that took place for 130 years. I know you're not going to remember this, so that's why I gave you an outline. The north is Syria, and the kings that would lead them are, are Seleucus and then Antiochus. Uh, the south is Egypt, and it's Ptolemy. So these unending battles going back and forth, and what's amazing is they keep winning battles, but they never have peace. They keep winning battles, and there's no true and lasting victory. One battle ends, and another battle's coming. And you know what that reminds us of? Our walk uh, and our, our living our life in light of the flesh. Amen? Because we can have victory one day and struggle the next. And the true victory comes, and the true peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. But they are constantly battling for 130 years straight, and nobody ever ultimately wins the battle, because as soon as one wins the battle, the other one attacks them again, and they won the battle, and it just keeps going back and forth. And guys, I just want to rest in the Lord. I don't want to battle with the world. The battle belongs to the Lord, and he's the one who wins in the end. Amen? Israel is caught in the middle. They're being ruled by the latest victor. God is in control. Israel survives and grows through it. By the way, we're indestructible to God's through with us, just as the Bible says. Amen? And then finally, mighty men with the spirit of Antichrist will fool many with their flattery and claims of peace. You know, what are you seeking? The flattery of men or faithfulness to God? When the Antichrist comes along, Antichrist Epiphany is a type of the Antichrist, and the Antichrist himself, they're going to start off by flattering people. They're going to be charismatic they're going to be able to use their words to sway people in the direction that they want. And for a period of time, they're going to look like they're bringing peace. And in the end, they're going to be revealed for the, the ungodly, you know, satanic people that they are and bring destruction. And so we're going to see in tonight's text that mighty men with the spirit of the Antichrist will fool many with flattery and claims of peace. But in the end, there'll be no match for Almighty God. Amen just as the Bible says. Let's begin there looking at just as the Bible says, mighty men and great nations rose and fell. It says there in verse one, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So the angel had been speaking to Daniel in chapter 10, continues his conversation. He's talking to Daniel and Darius the king, who was manipulated by the wise men to give the decree 
to outlaw prayer to anyone but to the king, knowing, and they did this knowing that Daniel would not stop praying. And they knew the only way they would catch Daniel is if they outlawed his relationship with God. Guys, if they outlawed your relationship with God, would your life change? If they outlaw your relationship with God, if they outlaw prayer, if they outlaw going to church, if they outlaw reading your Bible, would your life really change all that much? I would hope that it would radically change. Well, first of all, I'm not going to stop doing it because we don't listen to men. We listen to God. Amen. And that's exactly what Daniel does. But Darius is the one who made the decree. And what I love about it is Darius, it says that he was strengthened by this angel. He's speaking of Darius. I strengthened him. What's interesting is Darius, after when, when they find, he finds out from the wise men that the prayer had been outlawed and Daniel kept praying and that he had made a decree that was unbreakable, that he had to be thrown the lion's den, he runs to, to where the lion's den is and he says, your God whom you serve, he will deliver you. See, God used Darius, I mean, Darius in his weakness to make the decree, but now we see that God's doing a work in him because Daniel stood up. And this, you know, it can never be underestimated how much you standing for the things of God can impact people around you. That when somebody stands up and says, I don't care what the world says, I'm doing what God says. And because we serve a true and a living God. And that's what Daniel did. And Darius was so shaken by it that Daniel's in the lion's den napping. And Darius is up in the palace, tearing the palace to pieces all night because he's tormented, worried about Daniel. Because guys, it's better to be in the lion's den with Jesus than in the palace without him. Amen? And he runs to it. And when he sees that he's alive, he tells everybody, by the way, from now on, we worship Daniel's God. From now on, his God is the true and living God. This angel had strengthened Darius in the midst of this, spoke to this man, and he's the same man now giving this prophecy about events that will take place in the future. In Daniel 6.16, Darius uh, says to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And he's one here that will now had strengthened Darius's faith, and he's also now going to be the one that is going to proclaim the truth of what is coming in the future. Daniel's unwavering faith in a land of pagan idolaters impacts the king, and he proclaims that his God is the true and the living God. Again, the angel goes on to give Daniel one of the most fascinating looks into the future ever recorded. From, from verse 2 to verse 35, we're going to see one of the most remarkable examples of pre-written history. There's prophecy all over the Bible, but if you had to pick one chapter that was the most specific, that was fulfilled over the greatest amount of time, that had the most prophecy in it, it's Daniel 11. And as we go through this, some of it's going to give you a headache. Some of it's going to seem a little tedious. Just, just be thankful you're not the guy that had to get it so much he could tell other people what it means. <laughs> Because, you know, they say a mist in the pulpit's a fog in the pew. That means if I don't fully grasp it, there's no chance you're going to get it, right? And so, believe me, this was, you know, it was a labor of love. I love hanging out with the Lord, but I'll tell you what, in the middle of the night, I was still, and I'm like, Lord, help, Lord, help. I say that a lot, by the way. Lord, help! I don't want to get in front of these people and have them walk out of here confused. Like I said, remember above all else, 135 prophetic truths, all fulfilled in this chapter. Notice what it says in verse 2. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far, shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, 
through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. So he's telling them there's going to be four more kingdoms that are coming. Now, we already know that this has been mentioned previously, that these four more kingdoms are coming. But notice he says here, there are four more kings that will rule in Persia. So he's talking not about the coming kingdoms, but the kings that will rule in Persia. And then he's going to break down who these kings are. You know what? We know the date because the people challenge us because it is so accurate. I've had this debate with people. There's no way any man can erode it. I agree with you, but God wrote it and he just used a man to pen it. Can I get an amen to that? So God did write it. And now he's going to tell you who these kings are. He says these three kings are coming. Now the three more kings after Cyrus, first one was Cyrus's son, his uh, Cambyses. And he was in 529, he became the king. Then a man by the name of, of Smyrdas in 522 BC, uh, some believe he was uh, an imposter, but he only reigned for a couple of months and then he died. And then the third king was Darius. And again, Darius came into power at the age of 28 in 521 BC, a great military leader, a great administrator who proclaimed the God of Daniel to be the true and living God. And Daniel prospered under his reign. But then it says the fourth king shall be richer, far richer. Well, that king is a man by the name of Xerxes. He doesn't become king till 486 BC. So this is about 60 years after this is written. It's talking about the fourth king. He says he's going to be richer than all of them. And it says this of him that he's going to build a huge army. In 480 BC, he attacked Greece. Notice what it says at the end of the text. It says that he will stir up all against the realm of Greece. Xerxes had a million man army and he attacked Greece. And it says right here in this text that the fourth king will be richer than them all and he will stir up against the realm of Greece. Now, how does he do this? He's very wealthy. He buys mercenaries. He puts together this huge army to go in to attack the Greeks. Xerxes won the battle, moved south to conquer other parts. You know what's interesting? Uh, when they were fighting the battle, they, they ran into 300 Spartans that held them at bay. And it's where that movie 300 comes from. I haven't seen it, but it's interesting that, and the name of the king that led the 300 was King Leonidas. Same name they use in the movie. And so literally, that's a fact. That's something that took place in history. It's prophesied here in Daniel. And what's going to take place is as he's going to fight the Greeks, he has this great army, but this smaller army is going to cause him troubles. So three more kings, the fourth is far richest, the strength through his riches stirred up again, all against Greece. And all this happened just as the Bible said, and it was revealed 56 years beforehand. So 56 years before this took place. These words were there. Look at verse four. Verse three, it says, and the mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. So the Persian empire tried to wipe out the Jewish people during the reign of Xerxes. When we get to Esther on Thursday nights, we're in Nehemiah right now. We know that Xerxes is going to fall in love with Esther because Esther is beautiful. And then we know that there's a man by the name of Haman who's a part of a group that wants to wipe out all the Jews. And then we know that God's going to use Esther's bravery to approach Xerxes, this king right here, and of course say, well, I'm a Jewish person, so if you're going to kill the Jews, you have to kill me, and it's going to turn his heart. 
So this Xerxes right here is the same one who's going to be a part of a group that was plotting to wipe all the Jews off the face of the earth. And again, we see that here in this text, that this man would raise to power and through the plot of Haman later. And, we, and praise God that God used a woman, by, by, you know, Esther, to turn her husband's heart away from wiping the Jews off the face of the earth. So it says in verse 4, And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven but not among the posterity, nor according to his dominions with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. So these four, the kingdom will be divided into four pieces. The Bible's telling, and it's pretty specific. So you're talking about a kingdom that doesn't exist yet, that's, gonna have, that's going to exist and it's going to take place almost 60 years in the future. Then you say, when that, when that kingdom falls apart, it's going to be divided into four pieces. Well, guess what? If you read your history book, we know that when Alexander, okay, so Alexander the Great, his kingdom is going to be divided into four pieces. At the age of 32, his empire was divided among his four generals. Cassander took over Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus took over uh, Asia Minor. Now, Seleucus took Syria and the lands to the east, and they are known as the kingdom of the north. So if you look at a map of Israel, Israel's in the middle, Syria's just to the north, and, and Egypt is to the south. So Israel's in the middle, that's God's chosen people, that's God's plan. This, this letter is written about what's going to take place for Israel. So you've got a kingdom just north of them, a kingdom just south of them, and they're fighting each other, and Israel's in the middle. Is there anything new under the sun? Isn't Israel in the same spot today, 2,500 years later, that it's still the, the land that everybody wants? It's the size of New Jersey, and it's the focal point of the world, even right now. And so we're going to see that these, they're divided into four kingdoms, but two of them, one of them, Seleucus, who's got Syria, and Ptolemy, who has Egypt, These then Egypt became the, the south, uh, and that's Ptolemy, so Ptolemy, south, Seleucus north, okay? Seleucus, Syria north, Ptolemy, Egypt south. So you have the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and they're going to just keep battling against each other, and Israel's going to be stuck in the middle every single time. And some of us may feel that way about the life we live right now. Like, man, the battles are going on all around me, and I'm just standing here in the middle, and I'm, get, I'm getting run over all the time. And the reality is that's what's going to take place in Israel. But here's the good news. God's still in control. So even when the battles are going on around us, even when the world is raging around us, our God is still faithful and we can still trust him and his promises. So this mighty king of great dominion was, again, Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great, we've talked about this in chapter 2 and chapter 8, he, he conquered the known world by the time he was 32 years old. Literally, he had conquered the whole world. There was nothing left for him to conquer. And because he conquered the whole world, he was drinking and living a life of, of debauchery, and he dies at the age of 32. And he died because there was nothing else for him to conquer. And that's what happens if you're trying to find your peace in accumulating things from this world. The Bible, tell, you know, the Bible teaches us that the, your flesh will never be satisfied. You'll never get enough of this world that, that will satisfy the whole that only God can fill. I'm seeing a lot of even celebrities now that are coming out going, man, I got everything and my life's empty. And praise God for that, amen? Jim Carrey came out and he's like, yeah, you know what? I hope everybody gets all that they want so they'll recognize that it won't get it. 
And the truth is that that's what, you know, if you think, oh, if I just get this promotion, then my life will be perfect. If I just meet the right spouse, if we just can have some more kids, if, if I just get the, you know, the, and we think it's this thing that we need that will satisfy, and I'm not saying those things are all wrong necessarily. What I'm saying is the way that you will have peace, and the only way you will have peace is if you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. And when you know him and your spirit of living God lives inside of you, you can have peace. Alexander the Great, his nation is torn into four pieces. He's dead at 32. There's a big, I haven't seen it, but my son was telling me, he called me the other day. He goes, dad, did you, read, did you watch, out? there's an Alexander the Great special on, and I know that you, you know, it's, he's, he's in the Bible, so you might want to watch it. So I probably will track it down at some point. But he said, it's amazing just seeing how ruthless this guy is and how, you know, well used. And at, but guess what? At the end, he's like, I got nothing. My life is meaningless. It's all empty. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Nothing, nothing is, is going to last eternity except relationship with God. So the king is divided to the four winds. Keep in mind, now this is 200 years after it was written. 200 years later, we're going to see the division into four different nations. So the kings of the north and the kings of the south. Look what it says in verse 5. So also... The kings, so point number one, their mighty men and great nations rose and fell. Alexander the Great, Xerxes, they fell. Again, they rise, they fall. Again, just like the Bible says. Now, 10, we're going to see great families rose and fell. It says, warriors, kings of the north. So here it says, also the kings of south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes. And he shall gain power over him and have dominion, and his dominion shall be a great dominion. You already got a headache, don't you? Huh, what happened? And he's got a what? And, and who? And his prince is what's with the prince? And who? The, what, uh, what? Exactly. So be reading that over and over at three in the morning. See how that works out for you. So one of the four inheritors of the empire is going to be a mighty king who would become stronger and greater than the others. And it says that, you know, this fulfilled by, by Ptolemy of Egypt. So this guy is going to be the strongest of the four. He's going to exert control over the Holy Land. And soon after the division of Alexander's empire, he's going to be dominating the region. Then it says, Ptolemy, I had a, he had a prince named Seleucus. Seleucus is one of his princes that serves with him. Well, he's going to be the one that overthrows the north. And so this was a guy that once served alongside him, and now they're going to be battling against each other. Seleucus is to the north. He's in Syria. Ptolemy's in Egypt. These guys are going to be battling with each other to see who's going to reign in the region. And these battles are going to last lifetimes. We're going to see their kids coming and going, grandkids coming and going for 130 years. They're going to just be fighting back and forth. And there's really never going to be any real winner. You're going to win for a time. They're going to real, control the region for a time. Then the other nation is going to come and it's going to just keep going back and forth. And there's never really any peace. There's never really any answer. It just continues on and on and on. In Scripture, there's a 400-year silence in Scripture from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. So there's no revelation from God specifically that's in the Bible from Malachi to Matthew. But guess where we find out what happened in those 400 years? Daniel 11. Because Daniel 11 is talking about the time that after 400, and until the Lord gets here, we're going to see a lot of what's taking place that you don't see anywhere in Scripture about the kingdoms that come and go. It's written, 
in Daniel 11. And so what we're seeing right here with these two kings, the one of the north and one of the south, this is now taking place during that, that silent period. So now we know what's going on during that time because we see it in Daniel 11. And so it speaks into the silence. So with no added revelation at the time, Daniel speaks of that time period. Again, in Daniel 10, 12, it says, I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people. Again, so the kings of the north in Syria with Seleucid and then Ptolemy, the kings of the south in Egypt, and Israel is the one that is stuck in between. And Israel is surrounded by her enemies. And the good news is God is in control. So God's people still dealing with invasions from the north and the south for 130 years under the rule of whatever kingdom won the latest battle. Verse 6, and at the end of some years, they shall join forces for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in those times. Who wants to get up and explain that verse right now? Word, amen? Here's what happens. In those days when, when you were battling with another nation and you could tell this is just going to continue to result in deaths on both sides. We're just going to keep fighting and people are going to die on both sides. How do we bring an end to this? So one of the kings says, you know what? You can marry my daughter. If you marry my daughter, then my daughter will be family. And now that we're family, we can stop fighting. We can all be on the same side. Now it says this is going to take place. Well, guess what? It did. Amen. So the new king of the south, Ptolemy, had a daughter named Berenice. And to make an alliance with Egypt, between Egypt and Syria, Berenice was to marry the new king of the north, Antichus, but only after he divorced his first wife. Her name was Laodicea, and that's where we get the term for Laodicea. That city was named after her. So can you imagine, we're going we're gonna to get a little treaty going here, but you got to divorce your wife and marry my daughter. Now, how's the wife going to feel about that? It's not in the Bible, but it's true. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, okay? <laughs> Let's just see what happens, okay? And so they're going to put this marriage together and hoping that, look, we're battling each other. We're just killing each other. Let's, what, are we, what can we do to bring each other together? Well, the text tells us what is going to happen. It says there that they will join forces. So they, the marriage takes place. They've joined forces. And for a, a moment in time, they're, they're seemingly allies. Then it says this. It says there, she shall not retain her power. See, Berenice didn't last very long. In a few years, the king of the south died, and the king of the north took, took back his first wife. So Ptolemy dies, and he goes, well, I'm not in that, and you know, I want my wife back. So he brings his wife back. The wife doesn't like the other wife. Shocker. She kills her and her baby and all the people that came with her. Let's go back and look at that verse again. Look what it says here. <laughs> but she shall be given up with those who brought her. It's in the Bible. This is hundreds of years later. She shall be given up with those who brought her. She was killed as were all the people that brought her. Now notice what else it says. And with him who begot her. Her dad died. So her dad's dead. She's dead. The baby's dead. The attendants are dead. And the old wife is back. 
Now, let's keep reading. And with him who strengthened her in those times. Uh, with him who strengthened her in those times, he also dies. She poisons her husband. Hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. So here's what happens. They intermarry. Now we're on the same side. Well, the guy's, the dad dies. He's like, well, I don't really have to stick this anymore. So give me my wife back. The wife doesn't like the new wife. So she kills her, kills the baby, kills the people that came with her, and then poisons her own husband and makes her son the new king. And it was written down hundreds of years. It's right here in this verse. Now you have to read it and you have to take a second to contemplate it. But look what it's, let me read it again now that you know all that. It says, let's read it again. And the end of some years, they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north. Is that pretty specific? That's amazingly specific. You know, people say, well, Nostradamus said that on a Wednesday in March in 2050, someone will die. There it is. Now that's not specific. This is specific, amen? The daughter of the north, the king of the south, it's telling us what's going to happen. It happens exactly that way. To make an agreement, but she will not repay her power or her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand. She's not going to be there long. She's not going to maintain this position as a queen for long. She's going to die. And notice what it says. But she shall be given up with those that brought her. She's going to die. So do the people that brought her. And with him who begot her, that's her dad, he also dies. And with him who strengthened her in those times, that was the husband she married. They're all dead. And this, this is the verses in the Bible, and they're very specific. And guess what? It happened exactly as the word of God said that it would. Guys, the Bible rocks. Now, you might read that and go, that doesn't look that specific. The, the, the woman's going to marry. Can you imagine 250 years from now, there's going to be a battle between these two nations that don't even really exist right now. And they're going to come together, and then the woman's going to marry them, and then she's going to die, and they're going to kill the people that brought her, and then he's going to die. Guys, that's only possible because God wrote it. God knows the future, amen? And he holds it in his hands. And so keep in mind that they had this book in the future years. And no doubt, the, pe the people of Israel, when all the stuff's going on around them, they're reading this, and they know what's coming. And guys, guess what? If we read the prophecy in the Bible, we know what's coming. Amen? And we know, and so it should give us peace in the midst of even the greatest storm. So Bernice, the daughter of Ptolemy, the king of the south, married Antichus, king of the north. She did not maintain her power. Antichus' wife had her killed, given up with those that brought her. Attendants were all killed. With him who begot her, her father Ptolemy had died. With him who had strengthened her in those times, Antichus, her one-time husband, is now dead. The Bible rocks. Amen? Not so much for them, but it rocks. So Ptolemy, Bernice, her child, her attendants, and Antichus, her husband, are all dead, just as the Bible said. And Laodicea, she kills her husband again and now makes her son the new king. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Verse 7, but from the branch of her roots, one shall arise in his place, who shall come with an army enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. A branch of her roots. What that means is somebody in her family, somebody in the root of her family is going to come and bring vengeance for Berenice. Someone's coming. Well, guess what happened? The brother of Berenice, Ptolemy III, 
would take over Egypt in 246 BC, rise up an army and march against the king of the north, Seleucus. Guess what? The Bible's right again. Written 246 years, over 200 years before it happened. And now it says, oh, and then somebody in her family is going to rise up and attack them. And guess what? Somebody in her family rose up and attacked them. Verse 8, and it shall also carry the goods captive to Egypt, where the princes and the precious articles of silver and gold shall be continue more years than the king of the north. Now, this is amazing to me. It says they're going to bring back silver and gold. And, and, and guess what? If you go read history... Bernice's brother, Ptolemy III, when he won the battle, he took the wealth back to Egypt. 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver. It also says, um, and he also brought back 2,500 idols. I mean, this is incredibly accurate fulfillment written hundreds of years before it happened. And now we understand why people think, well, Daniel couldn't have written that. It must have been somebody that came along later. But we know from manuscripts, we know from history that Daniel wrote it and the word of God is true. Amen? It says he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Ptolemy lived four years longer than Seleucus. Guess what he says? He's going to live longer than the king of the north. Guess what he did? I'm telling you, these are one after another, after another, after another. And again, it takes time to fully grasp the depths of them, but we're doing our best. Verse 9. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. Several years later, Seleucus mounted a return attack to Egypt in 240 BC, but was deceited, defeated and had to go back home. Why is this important? Each time the north and the south fought, the attack went right through Israel. So guys, if you are living in this time, Daniel 11 would be a good chapter to have. Okay, what's happening next? Okay, Bernice, yeah, she's dead. Okay, what happened? Okay, her brother came. Okay, that happened. Now it says here that they're going to come from the south. He attacked the north again. Or the north is going to attack the south. They keep going back and forth in these battles. And guess what? Each time what the Bible says happens exactly the way the Word of God says it. I know I'm going over this fairly quickly, but I want to tell you something. Um, I spent 30 hours on this, and it's still not completely clear, Okay. What I mean by that is there's so much going on all at the same time, right? And so, you, but what I want to encourage you, take the time to read it, and then you go look at a history book. So I've got history, over, that's what I had last, I had history over here and the Bible over here. You read the Bible and you look and history matches it. You read the Bible, the history matches it. You read the Bible, the history matches it. Why? Because when God writes it, it's already finished. Amen? All the prophecies are given because the middle of the global turmoil, again, was the people of God. And they were the apple of his eye. And even though they were in the midst of the great storm of life, God still cares. And I want you to know that God cares about you. Whatever storm you may be going through, whatever difficulty you may be going through, whatever enemy may seem like is attacking you at the time, you need to know that even when it looks like the world is in mayhem all around you, we see that from this text that, the, that God is always in control, even when we don't understand. Amen? Point number three. A perpetual war between the north and the south for the next 130 years. Well, look what it says there in verse 11. It says, And the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. The first son, Seleucus, 
had died, and Seleucus III uh, died early in Asia Minor, and their next son was, uh, was Antichus the Great from 223 to 187. He mounted several campaigns against Egypt and was able to restore Syria as far south as Gaza. Shocker. So he wins this battle that's talking about here, and he restores Syria, and they take over Israel, and they get as far south as Gaza. So they literally have all of Israel, they have all, you know, all of the Middle East, all the way down to Egypt, and so now they've taken back the land. And what we're going to see keeps happening is the north will have all of it, and then the south will come and fight them and take it back. Then the north will take it back, and the south will take it back. And why, does, why is this all in the word of God? Because this was written for the Jews living there at that time. It's a blessing for us that we can read it, but for them, it was happening all around them. And here's the good news. The rest of this chapter and chapter 12 is, a, is the same map for us as to what's going to happen here in the future. And so the way that they would look at that and, be, and could be prepared for what's coming, so too we can read the end of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12 to know what is coming. It's a perpetual war with Seleucus III and Antigus to the north and Ptolemy to the south. And Israel is caught in the middle. Now, verse 11, again, the king of the south shall be moved with rage. And so he's stirred up. The king of the south is Ptolemy IV. He was outraged at how close the Syrian armies got to Egypt. They've come all the way down. He's, he's, he's furious. So now he's going to fight back. He raises a huge army that fought at the border of Raphia in 217 BC. This is historical facts written down by people that wrote history. Ptolemy's army was 70,000 infantry, 5,000 cavalry, cavalry, and 73 elephants. I guess when you don't have tanks, elephants are pretty sweet, right? Then Antigus had 62,000 infantry, 6,000 cavalry, and 102 cavalry and 102 elephants. But Antigus would, even though he outnumbered him, would lose the battle, just as the text said. He's going to rise up a mighty army, but he's not going to win. The Bible said it hundreds of years before it took place. The angel tells Daniel that the king of the south would attack, who would meet a great multitude of soldiers from the king of the north, and the king of the north would lose the battle, and its multitude would be defeated. Verse 12. Like I said, don't try, if, if you can remember all these details, God bless you. But what I want us to remember is that God's word foretells the truth because God is in control. Verse 12. And when he had taken away the multitude, his heart would be lifted up, would cast down tens of thousands, but he still would not prevail. Ptolemy was puffed up over his victory, became prideful, but he didn't capture Antichus, so the victory was incomplete. In his back and forth seesaw battles, each victory was never complete and was always temporary. And it's often like our battle with the flesh. We have victory over it for a time and then we fall back to it. Then we have victory over it for a time and then we fall back to it. Again, when we become prideful, that never ends well. Amen? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. They win a battle, Tulemay gets puffed up, and guess what? It's not going to last. Guys, you know when we can be, have victory is when we remain humble, broken, and desperate. Amen? When we rest in the fact of who God is and how desperately we need him. It says in verse 13, for the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come to the end of some of those years with a great army and much equipment. Antichrist III had escaped. He went to conquer eastward as far as India. In process, he gained much wealth. 
built a huge army and prepared to attack Egypt again. Again, this is tedious, back and forth, 130 years of them fighting back and forth. I hope that Ukraine, Russia doesn't last that long. But you know what I mean? Just back and forth. And this fight continues on. And again, the details in the word of God are exactly how they took place, down to the very minute detail. The victory would give the king of the north dominion over Israel. It says in verse 14, Now in those times many shall rise up against the king of the south, against violent men of your people, this is the Jews, shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. Some of the Jews, can you imagine if they're, they're running through your town and fighting the north, and the north is running through the town and fighting the south, and in the meantime, you're getting trampled from both directions? At some point, you'd think someone go, let's pick a side. Let's, let's hang out one of these sides, so because right now we got two enemies. What if we pick a side? So they pick the south, and then it doesn't work out. Because guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? We don't side with the world, we side with Almighty God. Amen? So Philip IV of Macedonia made a treaty with Antiochus to try to carve up uh, the Egyptian land, and there was a group of Jews who allied themselves with Antiochus against Egypt, perhaps hoping to win independence, but it didn't work. And the Jews living in Israel helped Antiochus defeat the king of the south, and they resented the rule of the Egyptians. Now, let me read on because we're running out of time already. Verse 15, so the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound. Do you know what that is? What do, you do? What, what, what do you do when you see when you have a siege? You surround a kingdom and you don't let anybody in or out. So they're going to starve to death. So they build a mound around it so nobody could get into the kingdom and, they, and they're going to put this siege together. And notice it says, and they took, a, to, they took a siege mound and take a fortified city and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. So what happens is, this is actually the area of Caesarea Philippi, if you've ever been to Israel. They finally defeated uh, this fortified city, verse 16. But he shall come against him, shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land, that's Israel, with destruction in his power. So as Antiochus was defeating the Egyptians, he took control over the area of land between Syria and Egypt, the glorious land. It was now under his control. These poor people in Israel, it's like every battle, okay, now we're, now we're under their authority. Oh, now we're under their authority. Well, now we're under their authority. Well, now we're under their authority. And too often, they, you think if you side with the right people on earth, you're going to be okay. Guys, this is good for us. We, by the way, we should all vote, but here's the good news. Our hope is not in the White House. Our, our hope is in the great white throne. You know, get amen to that? God's on the throne no matter what. He's the king, and you're getting a headache now trying to understand just how much is in this chapter. Amen? So it says in verse 17, he will set his face to enter the strength uh, of, the, of his whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do, and he shall give him the daughter of women to destroy it. But he shall not stand with him or be with them. He gave him the daughter of women. Antiochus wanted to wipe out Egypt, so he pressured, he was pressured by Rome to make a diplomatic treaty. So he gave his daughter Cleopatra to be married. And again, this is not that Cleopatra, but she's an ancestor of the Cleopatra you see in movies that would happen 130 years later. So Antiochus was hoping that his daughter would help him finally defeat the Egyptians, but the plan backfired because she loved her husband more than her dad. And so when he thought she would be a spy, she was actually helping her husband defeat 
her own father. Antiochus had hoped his daughter would become a spy for him and unite the kingdom. Instead, she fell in love with the king and forgot it. That's leave and cleave right there. Amen. <laughs> We're never going to get to the end of this. Verse 18. I'm trying, okay? Verse 18. After this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to the end. With the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. So here's what happens. He can't win the battle between the north and the south, so he turns to the coastlands. He starts defeating other enemies. But in the end, it's always going to continue. coming After his battle with Egypt, Antiochus turns to Asia Minor in 197 BC. Again, this is now 360 years after this was written. He went after Asia Minor in 197 BC, went after Greece in 192 BC. This is all historical fact. And in the process, Antiochus ended up offending the Romans, and they sent a general to take on Antiochus. And Antiochus was defeated first uh, in that Spartan battle, and then later at Magnesia. So again, these are all things stated in the Bible, and they happened exactly the way the Bible said they would happen, even though you're not understanding it fully. Verse 19, then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his own land, and he shall stumble and fall and not be found. After Antiochus left Greece, he was killed while plundering the temple in Elam in modern-day Iran. And what stands out to me in this back-and-forth battles between these two, there's no peace, there's no true and lasting victory, there's no amount of battles that would ever satisfy, and the flesh will never be satisfied, and there's no peace apart. They're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic. Amen? The ship's going down, and they're fighting over stuff that's not going to last, and they just keep engaging each other. And wouldn't it be great if, if they could just listen to a Daniel? Now, Daniel, this is 360 years later. This is during that 400 years of silence in the Bible. All of this is taking place. Israel just has no peace. It's constant that there are people that surround them are constantly at war, and they're stuck in the middle we got one more point. I think we might have to do that next week. Um, here's what I want to say. Trust the Bible. Amen? Trust the Bible. God says this in Isaiah. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And the ancient times are not, the things of ancient times that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. If scriptures were correct about things like prophecies in Daniel, things that are now in the past, how accurate do they think you're going to be about things that haven't been fulfilled yet? Jesus said this in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He promised that he is coming again. Do you think he's coming again? See, all this stuff that it's so hard to understand, you have to dig into the minutia a little bit, but as you read through these texts and you see, I mean, the daughter being given to the other king and then the daughter being killed and their children being killed and those that brought her being killed and the father being killed. And, and I mean, it's so, I mean, the details. And again, as you go through the rest of the chapter, there's 135 details and all 135 of them are accurate with history. Guys, that's what I want you to remember. If you don't remember Ptolemy's name, if you don't remember Seleucia's name, if you don't remember Berenice, remember that. Because that's what will, will give us deeper and greater faith.
Guys, he's promised us he's coming again. If, if Jesus came today, would you be ready? If he called you home today, would you be ready? Would you go home? Would you be left behind? Do you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you know the one that wrote this book, the one that gave this prophecy, the one that told us that he is coming back? Guys, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll either confess him now or you'll confess him on judgment day if you deny him here. And you know what? Every believer on this planet should be burdened for every unbeliever on this side of hell. Every believer on this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever on this side of hell. If there's one person in this room that has not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God is in control, that God is a faithful God. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He sent his son to suffer and die. And you know what? He suffered and died as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. And God brought you here today by divine appointment, not by chance. He knew you would be here today for a very difficult chapter to understand. But my prayer is the part that you do need to understand is the same God who wrote all the details in this book, the 66 books written by 40 authors on four continents, uh, three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it. And in this book, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Guys, we will have everlasting life and we will put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in your military, if you put your faith in your own strength, you're going to be like these guys fighting battles that never end. You're going to keep trying to find satisfaction in places where you'll never have peace. Guys, we don't need to win battles. We need to surrender our life to Jesus Christ because the battle belongs to the Lord and he already won the battle. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. I thank you for the, just the attentiveness of a very difficult chapter with all the details taking place so quickly. But Lord, if they forget everything else, I pray they will remember. I pray that I will remember. Be reminded daily that, God, you're in control. That, God, your word is 100% accurate and 100% true. That the prophecies that have been fulfilled in the past are proof that the prophecies in the future will take place exactly the way that you say. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because you're a sinner like me, we're all gonna die. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You know, we all have sin in our life and one sin in heaven, it's earth part two. And so there can be no sin in heaven. And that's why Jesus died to redeem us, to forgive us, to take the price, pay the price for our sin upon the cross of Calvary. And he paid it in full to Talisti. And so for you, if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his father in heaven. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before his father in heaven. If you hear him, you've never given your life to the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, to confess him openly. Just raise your hand and I will pray with you. And if you're truly sincere in your heart, you can know for sure that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. You can know that the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you even now. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what battles rage around you, you can have peace because you know the Prince of Peace. Anybody here at all, give your life to the Lord. Don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Be glorified in our lives. You're worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. And we're thankful that, Lord, we are with you, that we're on your side. 
that you are for us. And no matter what the battles rage around us, we can have peace because we rest in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said.